Welcome to the AWS Tech Chat. We're Solution Architects based in APAC, and we help customers adopt the AWS Cloud Platform. In each episode, we talk about the latest and most interesting technical developments in the world of AWS Cloud. We bring you the AWS Roundup and deep tech dives into topics of interest. Hello, my name's Shane Baldacino, and this is episode 61 of the AWS Tech Chat podcast, coming at you from a hotel room in Las Vegas with part one of our multi-part series covering reInvent 2019. Joining me today, and not in my hotel room, and back in Melbourne, Australia, is Dr. Peter Stanskin. Hey, everyone, and uh, it's good to be back on the show. And Shane, thank you for clearing that up. Uh, you know, I am not occupying your hotel room. And uh, we haven't done an episode like this for quite a while. In fact, we're about 13,000 kilometers um, away from each other. I'm coming from uh, not so sunny Melbourne, uh, and we haven't done an episode like this for quite a while. So uh, hopefully uh, uh, this round of episodes uh, is going to tickle the, tickle the inner geek, so to speak, uh, because you may have been missing or perhaps are missing uh, due to time zones, uh, what's happening in reInvent. Uh, so we're going to hopefully extract maximum value out of uh, Shane being there and me being here. So day one of reInvent 2019, Monday night, what a way to start the week off. And actually, before I get into the show, dare I say, what a huge week of announcements leading up to reInvent. You know, literally over 100 new announcements from November 15 leading up to reInvent. Now, I just want to quickly name a few of these. And hey, look, when the dust settles, They'll be in our backlog and we'll dive deeper in those, you know, probably in the coming year. From a new AWS CLI version 2 with integrated SSO, some new instances available for certain specific services such as Elasticsearch and RDS, dead letter queue functionality for SNS, new runtimes for Lambda. There's SQS FIFO can now be used as a Lambda trigger, some auto scaling updates, you know, around weighted and lifetimes, storage updates. I really could go on. I really could. Uh, there's plenty to talk about, Shane, uh, but that's for the upcoming episodes. Uh, but for now, uh, you're at reInvent, I right? I am indeed. So, Pete, here we are, the start of a huge week ahead. I think the word huge or a synonym of it may you know, be well overused this week. I'm sure it'll be a heavily overloaded term. But listen, um, being in Vegas, lots of things are going on there. Um, what's happening in downtown Las Vegas? Uh, do share that with our listeners. Yeah, well, Pete, you know, if you walk the streets, it is a sea of blue. All right, what kind of blue? And I'm not thinking of uh, the, the fountains at the, the hotel across the road. No, not that. It is a sea of blue. So, you know, 65,000 people at reInvent. You know, it's cold this time of year. So the swag this year is a blue hoodie. And that's my sea of blue. You know, if you walk the strip, you'll know what I mean. Other than that, you know, wall-to-wall AWS in Las Vegas, from the hotels, the streets, and even in the airport. You know, and if you're into logistics, I'm sure it'd be one heck of a challenge. The scale, Pete, of the event grows every year, and it's not until you walk down the main halls of a Venetian or enter the expo hall that it really hits you. But that's not what we're here for today. Well, actually, before we move on to the uh, the, the main part of the show, um, last year hoodies were, I think, grey and they were nice and warm. So I hope yours is doing its thing at the moment. But um, are you getting any of the pins that a lot of people are collecting them as a... Uh... Uh, every time they go to a reInvent? I did collect a few pins. I think I'll give them out to my customers though. And uh, speaking of those gray hoodies, I have seen you know some uh, retro swag over the year from reInvent 2014 all the way up and I have seen people walking around in those gray hoodies. So we're here to talk about Monday Night Live. Um, 
Shane, and you were tinkerer. There's a lot of stuff that would definitely be appealing to the inner geek there. Um, but in today's episode of Tech Chat, uh, we're going to do a recap of um, last night event, uh, which shows uh, lots of inner workings behind AWS. So uh, stay tuned, guys. Uh, enjoy the ride for the next few minutes. Um, so Shane, over to you. Yeah, look, and if I had to summarize, and that doesn't mean listeners, you can stop listening now. It was a themed affair illustrating the benefits of two big decisions we've purposely taken a few years ago. The first around networking and the second around our acquisition of Annapurna Labs and the custom silicon that has come out of this acquisition. So run run us through this, Shane. What does that mean? All right. So before I do this, Pete, did you manage to watch this last night? I know the time zone, you know, can be a little bit tricky. Yes, no, not at all. Actually, of course, I watched it. I, uh, I, I certainly enjoyed seeing Pete and uh, some of the customers getting up on stage. So, yeah, the power of CloudFront, uh, you know, did not miss a beat in streaming those millions of be- bits of information uh, from about thirteen thousand kilometers away. Awesome, you know, coming from a local edge location. So, look, <laughs> all right. To frame the show, it was based on a sports presentation. You know, Pete. DeSantis, not you here, last year missed the Seattle Seahawks game during the keynote rehearsal. But this year, he missed the actual game. So he was doing it his way. So we had many cutovers, you know, through the night uh, around, you know, sporting themes. So to start the show off, we talked about what we've done in the last 12 months. So a lot of computer hardware here, the new instance types and new generations, um, uh, networking space, Annapurna Labs investment with the A1s. Yeah, look, as I was watching, it's, it's always good to reflect on how, you know, the investments that we actually make, uh, um, you know, leverage many of those benefits for our customers, right? So it was all about infrastructure on Monday night, um, as you know, Shane. So um, one workload that has always been a tough, I guess, sell for a lot of people to get their head across uh, on Monday night was kind of the idea of a high-performance computer or HPC, as many people refer to it. And uh, Pete actually walked us through some of the requirements on the going about uh, you know, building those Yeah, things. so high-performance computing, HPC, and being a hardware guy in the past, we've really been missing a few of those key ingredients to make this viable on AWS. And you know, these N suffix-based EC2 instances with their high-performance networking, you know, up to 100 gig, have really been a game-changer. So the first of the Ns we launched was the C5N, and that was a, a really big thing. And you know, it's one of the core ingredients in HPC. Yes, look, so many people may ask, you know, what are the real benefits of HPC, Shane? You want to just run through some of those? Yeah, look, it's a bit of a niche topic. And to be honest, none of my customers themselves use HPC. Um, none of my customers now, even in the past. But, you know, it's a real niche area. Should we be talking about it? Look, I think so. Absolutely. Um, and if you think about high-performance computing, uh, while it may not actually uh, impact you directly, um, I'm sure it does in many indirect ways. So HPC really is at the core uh, of advancements in many areas of science and engineering, which we all tend to <laughs> appreciate, um, which often leads to you know greater innovation, be it fuel efficiencies with vehicles or you know fluid dynamics in planes and how they're flying, you know achievements in medicine, and uh, of course the most important one being uh, the weather forecast. Yeah, weather forecasting has certainly got a lot more accurate since uh, I was a young fella. So look, mm. it really saves lives. It brings advancements to our way of life, and just like big data with everyone having lots of data what does hpc really mean that's a great question uh well there's no 
really a specific definition of HPC, but often it's described as, you know, think of a workload that is too big to run on a single server, kind of like the, the thing you think about big data, right? So big data is one problem and high-performance computing is the computational part, if you like, of the big data problem yeah, but, um, because you often need both. Yeah, but that could be any workload, Pete. You know, it could be a website. You can't run a website in a single server. Yes, that's true. Um, so really, you know, it's, it's situations where you need information changed and coordinated between multiple nodes. So it's not just a simple computation like handling a, uh, a web page request. It's actually about multiple nodes talking to each other, scaling, uh, transferring, you know, jobs and activities, uh, which puts a high demand on the actual network fabric, uh, especially when you start to scale it and you have more and more nodes trying to solve a very large computational problem across a very large yeah, data so set. Look, as you add nodes, this problem amplifies around the demands on the network. And something HPC needs is high throughput and a low latency network, which, you know, as I mentioned, becomes really important as you scale. And I think we need to call a spade a spade. I'm sure if that's Australian slang or not, but in essence, we need to be honest here. You know, the typical attributes one requires for HPC and supercomputers haven't been part of the Lego blocks that we call AWS until now. Well, that's kind of until now. Yeah, look, you know, um, supercomputer as a service, uh, any takers? Uh, and I and imagine those coming in different T-shirt sizes that you could actually get perhaps in the yeah, AWS console. I, I imagine if we had a physical T-shirt, it could be like, I don't know, look pretty cool, I think. It is, It's all yeah. virtual now. Yeah, virtual, virtual, virtual clothes, digital 2.0 uh, assets, uh, in-game purchases, all that kind of stuff. But uh, yeah. supercomputers, yes, so, super cool. They do require some physical hardware. Supercomputer, maybe as a service, so maybe kind of, and I think we'll you know dive a little bit deep into that. You know, if you think about a supercomputer, these are awesome machines, but there are downsides, and there are some pretty significant hurdles to get on board. Let's start, you know, with something blatantly obvious. They cost into tens of millions of dollars, and when you spend that amount of money, you probably want to keep them for a while. So whilst great at first, they can get slower after a few years. You know, we know the advancement in technology, and if you have a look at the specs. And I'm actually interested in these. I do quite often take a look at, you know, what the supercomputers are and what they're made of. You know, it can be just like from Opterons and Xeons, et cetera, and traditional GPUs. They're often racks of just one RU servers, you know, high-speed interconnects like InfiniBand. There's nothing too special about them. Yeah, and look, uh, there's also Moore's Law at play here where, you know, computer advancements are continuously getting there and they're getting cheaper and faster and you get more bang for your buck. So if you're going to spend all this, you know, multi-million dollars on that infrastructure, you probably want to keep it around for as long as possible uh, to extract maximum value out of it uh, and perhaps, you know, uh, recoup that investment. Yeah. So look, it's a double-edged sword here. And by keeping this highly utilized, remember, you want to ensure that this multi-million dollar investment isn't idle. You're going to often run in a you know a tightly regulated environment with only the highest priority jobs being able to be scheduled. Indeed, so uh, I think we're very close now to uh, seeing a HPC console uh, in the AWS um, you know web page that actually gives you access to those things because uh, you know in many ways you know the 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 ingredients and the and the building blocks have been around for quite a while uh, now these days more than ever. Yeah, so not quite in the console as yet, but we've made significant headways. You know, a few years ago on stage at reInvent, I don't know if listeners remember, we had James Hamilton on stage and he spoke about networking changes. You know, basically the cost of CPU performance to price has gone down over time, but networking hasn't. 
And look, it's always been a bottleneck. Like, you know, optical SPFs and the 10, and well, the move from, you know, 10 to 100 gigabit uh, switching ports are always also expensive. Uh, so we actually went on a journey of building our own infrastructure as, uh, you know, if you go back to James's keynote uh, a little while ago, uh, we had a goal of, you know, um, having a lower cost, uh, improving security and operational reliability of infrastructure, uh, and also make, making sure that there was an end-to-end um, uh, you know, opportunity for us to innovate faster across the network infrastructure as well. So, so we now have three generations uh, of infrastructure on this journey. And if you look back, uh, if you, the first generation really was in a 10 gig back in the C3 world. Uh, and now with the third gen, we now have a 100 gigabits uh, networking uh to many of our instances, and those that have an N suffix definitely have a 100 gigabit connection like the C5N. We know to create a high throughput, low latency network in AWS, use a placement group. But there are limitations on placement groups. If we go back to the first generation network, you know, we could have machines with 10 gigabit network connectivity and with a 12 microsecond latency one way across the placement group. Which is pretty fast. It's pretty right? fast, yeah. 12 microseconds, but it's probably not fast enough. You know, we're talking, we need lower latency. Mm -hmm. So fast forward today, our third generation network based on Nitro, you know, we have 100 gigabit instances that can be all coupled together in a placement group with seven microsecond one-way latency. Yeah, that's pretty impressive. Um, Look, anyway... As you look at this, uh, the proof is really in the investment. Now, we've made a significant investment in the infrastructure, uh, you know, which now has reduced uh, latency. We've been developing our custom, um, you know, uh, silicon. So we've been building ASICs, so application-specific integrated circuits uh, for switching protocols. And uh, this has helped the way for effectively building up you know, a much faster faster future. Yeah, and look, switching a network is really just one piece of the puzzle. It's like hardware versus mm. software here. Supercomputers are more than servers with a fast switch. You remember low latency and virtualization in some ways can be counterintuitive. And this is where Nitro comes in. So a refresher here on Nitro. Uh, it's not new. Our new instance families are all moving to Nitro as a hypervisor. So traditionally, hypervisors protect the physical hardware, BIOS, you know, virtualization which was a CPU, storage networking, uh, and provide a rich set of management capabilities. And with my, with the Nitro systems, what we've done is be able to break those apart into different functions and offload them into dedicated hardware, which is how we're actually getting to these lower latencies uh, and greater isolation. The hardware, Pete, is in effect a full computer running off a of PCI, so PCI Express slot, and it's actually based off a C5 instance itself. And it's taking every, care of everything that you just mentioned. There is no virtualization overhead as Nitro takes care of that. And it gives you the performance that on your EC2 instance that is indistinguishable to bare metal and network traffic is virtualized at minimal cost. And this all came out of Annapurna Labs. So we have bare metal-like performance, but there is another attribute of HPC and and supercomputers, and that's a custom network stack that bypasses the kernel. Yes, that's a really important one because uh, when you think about it, um, so the standard that we're talking about for communication really is TCP, right? And it's a pretty good protocol for most things. It was designed for you know high resilience, uh, but it's not necessarily the best thing for HPC um, because uh, it doesn't necessarily always scale the way you think it will scale. Yeah, TCP, if my studies in CCNA and CCP serve myself well, that was a long time ago. You know, it's reliable because of, you know, it's got timeout-based transmissions. It's got error detection, flow control, windowing, and acknowledgements. This all takes time. You know, adding to this, TCP runs in the kernel space, so in the operating system, meaning it's going to work with all apps in the OS. This is costly when latency consistency is paramount. 
So TCP is designed also to deal with the internet. That's measured in milliseconds, not microseconds. It just won't work for HPC. And an issue is, you know, in casting. Can I ask you to elaborate on this and wheel out the virtual whiteboard here? Sure. So uh, for those of our listeners who aren't familiar with in-casting, uh, it's a very common problem uh, in HPC applications. And in-casting really is uh, uh, when you have many-to-one communications taking place. It's a pattern, really, uh, where you have... Um, uh, distributed storage and computer frameworks running, you know, across multiple nodes such as Hadoop, you know, MapReduce, HDFS, Cassandra, uh, and so on and so forth. And the idea is uh, uh, the basic pattern begins with a single parent, so, so a key node, if you like, or a master, uh, that places a request for data to a cluster of nodes, which uh, then go off and execute that function simultaneously. Um, the cluster nodes then, in turn, all come back to the actual parent node or the master controller, uh, and that's when that node actually gets flooded. So there's a huge burst of, uh, of traffic from many instances simultaneously sent into that one particular machine. And if you're doing it via TCP, chances are uh, you might get a little bit of packet loss or, or high latency and contention uh, on that communication uh, taking place between those many to one nodes. So aka the in-cast problem. The in-cast problem. We mentioned C5s a lot today, so let's stick with them. Imagine you've got 10 C5N sending 8 gig of data to a single C5N instance the in-cast problem. They've all got 100 gigabit network connections. So the destination here is obviously going to be the bottleneck. TCP is going to overreact to this packet loss. And in performing a test like this, the delta between the first and last sender is going to be over 20%. So that's 10 servers, right? Uh, the bigger the cluster, the worse the problem actually ends up being because you get more nodes sending to you this in parallel. So uh, the way to fix this is to actually use the elastic fabric adapter, uh, often called the EFA. Now, we released this last year, and it, in essence, performs network offloading by bypassing the kernel itself. So as a result, you get the application performance of on-premise HPC clusters with the on-demand elasticity and flexibility of AWS. And the EFA adapter is available on instance with Nitro. Um, and all of this starts with the communications library that you need to install on your instance, which then allows your applications to talk directly to the Nitro controller, bypassing the kernel using SRD, which is called Scalable Reliable Diagram, uh, which then in turn boosts performance. Therefore, you are bypassing and getting a much lower latency. And by using SRD and running the same test, not only is there less than 1% deviation between the fastest and the slowest, even the slowest EFA sender is faster than the fastest sender using TCP, which means that EFA is a kernel-optimized networking stack. Just remember, Nitro makes this possible. And those EC2 instances with an N suffix to which now we have eight types, like the C5N, I3EN, and so on, have an additional Nitro card for additional networking grunt to deliver 100 gigabits to those instances. This sounds good, but how is it when the rubber hits the road and when this is really tested? And look, one of the most intensive HPC workloads when you think about it is weather forecasting. And the US Naval Research uh, has illustrated actually performing this using uh, a supercomputer with near linear scale performance um, by adding more nodes and reducing compute time. So on C4s, uh, our previous generation at those without EFA, um, as they added nodes, after about 160 nodes, they started to see they were getting no extra performance. Having said that, on the C5 ends with the enhanced networking, um, 
on the other side of the scale, uh, allowed the supercomputer to keep continuing growing um, at a faster pace, meaning that they actually had the same consistency as on-premises and with newer hardware uh, without spending millions of dollars up front. So it was actually a double win. They got it just in time when they wanted it, and they had uh, you know incredible network performance. Yeah, better performance than their original supercomputer. So really cool. So let's move on here, Pete. So one of the big partnerships AWS made in the last year is with F1. And being a motorsport tragic, you know, I'll watch anything and almost anything with an engine. It is great to see how AWS is making a positive impact on the sport and it's not just marketing fluff here. We had Rob Smedley from Formula One take the stage. And a fun fact, I actually met him during the Sydney Summit keynote rehearsals. I was wondering, is he actually going to use the same content? And as you know, the answer was definitely no. So there was new content here. And it was very interesting content, in fact. Uh, so he came out to talk about some of the regulation changes in F1 for 2021 season. And uh, by the way, remember, sport is entertainment these days. And just like we listen to our customers, um, F1 listens to their fans. And uh, their fans are saying that they want to have more wheel-to-wheel racing action. Uh, and this was the... Uh, I guess a key enabler for that is aerodynamics to make sure the vehicles are uh, more have higher traction and uh, greater yeah, control. Look, everyone wants you know a more entertaining race. We don't want someone to get out in front, and it becomes boring. Sometimes I even fall asleep because the races are so late at night. But I digress. So look, an F1 car is in effect a giant aircraft wing, but inversed. So the faster the car goes, the more downforce that the aero package is going to provide. So to give an example, at 100 miles per hour or 160 kilometers per hour in metric, the aero on most cars provides around 1,000 kilograms or one ton of downforce. So in theory, you could probably turn the car upside down and you know drive upside down, but it's that balance of drag and downforce that teams work to optimize. Yeah, and, look, and there's big money in F1 racing, and um, the aerodynamic simulations that they actually use use computational fluid dynamics to figure this stuff out. It's not just enough to put a car in a in a in actual wind tunnel. You actually want to do this properly through uh, you know fluid dynamics. So uh, the computation it's actually a, a branch of f- fluid mechanics uh, and uses lots of numerical number crunching and data structures to analyze and solve really complex problems that involve the movement of air in this case. So while wind tunnels have their purpose, as I said. Uh, these are really expensive, time-consuming, error-prone, um, and uh, you know, fundamentally, a better way of doing this is doing it via a supercomputer uh, to actually do some calculations. So they did some CFDs uh, to model a virtual car in a virtual virtual race to simulate the airflow, uh, and this has actually helped them to achieve the goals of uh, enabling more wheel-to-wheel racing. So there's some big announcement that they actually made. Cars in, in aero terms are leaving dirty hair behind them, I and mean, I think that's in effectively all motorsport you know i know you made computer games in the past pete the term catch up but this is like reverse catch up Mm -hmm. if you've ever played computer games so if a car's doing 100 miles an hour or 160k per hour and it's one second behind the car in front it's losing around 30 percent downforce with the current model cars and that makes it really hard to catch up here because as you get closer you know you're encountering this dirty air which reduces downforce and ultimately grip and just to explain this better for those who aren't in the, into motorsports, what it means is it's 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 like uh, when you in any particular race, the first the first one it disrupts the airflow behind them. Uh, so that's why the 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 cars which are you know, up to a second behind actually have less downward pressure, which then has a huge impact on how they're actually handling the road and uh, what kind of traction they're actually getting. So um, if there was a way of actually fixing that. Uh, 
Wouldn't that be great? There is. And as you said, CFD helps to solve this problem. But again, you know, this is incredibly computationally expensive. It is absolutely a HPC workload. Even running this, you know, within F1 Teams in-house computing environments, which I'm sure they've got lots of resources relative to most organizations, it can take days and even weeks to run, depending on how much compute is available. With AWS, a CFD run now takes Formula One only eight hours. Wow, it's pretty impressive. And look, what this all equates is that look, while we're no specialist in uh, CFD, uh, we are really good at high-performance computing. Uh, so we actually helped F1 develop the 2021 error regulations to ensure you know closer wheel-to-wheel racing. So you know you mentioned the loss of 30% of down, downward force when you're one second behind. Uh, what this now means, you know, um, with the um, countless runs of the CFD simulation that they actually we've been doing, uh, this has now reduced the uh, uh, the actual um, uh, downforce uh, to only 5%. So from 30% to 5% uh, by running some calculations. Yeah, the fan in me loves this. So super awesome stuff. Well done, AWS. Well done, Formula One. Indeed. Indeed. So machine learning is becoming an integral part of every application today. It's almost a common conversation with customers. I skip a hit here, but I just want to say through Andy Jassy's keynote today and then the next episode of Tech Chat, hopefully tomorrow, there's going to be so many announcements and we'll dive a lot deeper into ML. But ML level set for us here, Pete. Yeah, I too was amazed at Andy Jesse's keynote, but we digress here, Shane. And look, uh, ML is made up of two distinct parts. One is the training and the second is the actual inference piece. So training refers to the process of creating a, uh, a machine learning model or an algorithm uh, that's actually used on the data. Uh, and inference refers to the actual process of actually using that trained uh, machine learning model or an algorithm to actually make a prediction. So generally training a model requires large amounts of floating point maths and there's a lot of matrix operations. And the last few years, deep learning models have become incredibly complex. So it's not uncommon to have a, you know, to build a good model, you can go through petabytes uh, or, or up to even terabytes of data uh, to actually b- build your model. Uh, and you probably also want to do that multiple times, which again becomes in- very CPU intensive. So using like a P3 instance, uh, 16 Excel would not go astray, uh, which has, you know, um, uh, you know, 25 gigabits of in, in, instance networking. Um, and it's actually got a, you know, an NVIDIA uh, V100, multiple of those inside under the hood. So what this means is they can actually use those kind of instances uh, to actually, you know, build your models and then start doing predictions. But at the end of the day, this can actually become quite expensive depending on how complex the actual data set is uh, and in terms of the kind of models they're trying to predict. Yeah, and a common model is mask CNN. And it's becoming really important as it's used by self-driving cars and autonomous vehicles. Mascar CNN does scale, so adding more GPUs helps. But eventually, adding GPUs provides no extra performance. And on a single P3, it takes 207 minutes. The issue is similar to HPC. When you add ML instances you know, that are highly interconnected, when you scale, you need to sync these machines. And when the machines sync, you scale the instance GPUs. But when they're scaling, they don't do any work. They sit idle. And after a point, the network again becomes a bottleneck. So this means in order to make these ML workloads run better, we need to use a similar approach as what we described before. So the P3DN, so big, fast network fabric, you know, 100 gigabits, EFA, Nitro. We've invested heavily in integrating EFA into all the frameworks ML uses. So TensorFlow, PyTorch, MX, meaning the P3DN scales. With EFA and removing TCP, it allows scaling and better performance for almost any workload versus TCP. 
And look, that was one part. The other one is the actual inferencing when you're actually trying to make a prediction, right? So when you take your model that you've trained and you actually want to make sure that it gives you some uh, some prediction about your your incoming data. So in real world example here is Alexa. Every time I use a speaks, the voice is being uh, applied against the model, and um, the faster you can perform inferences. Um, the better is for everyone. So in, in some cases, depending on the scenario, it may be uh, the difference between life and death in a, in a realm of a crash or a very expensive mistake. And uh, you know, the example you're talking about self-driving cars, you know, you need to be pixel perfect, if you like, in terms of you know detecting the image or the obstacle, right? So, so Shane, you covered the G4 in a prior episode, but the G4s are the most cost-effective method of performing inference. Uh, it's about 400 times faster than, say, the C5s. That's because they're using GPUs, and it was designed for floating point, uh, which is something that is used heavily uh, for you know um, determining inferences. Well, perhaps, Pete. Listeners, a sneak preview for our next show. Hours ago, we launched the EC2 Inf1 instance type, which is based on our own custom silicon we announced last year at reInvent called Inferentia. So each Inferentia chip has a large case, so we can load more of the model into Inferentia. It can and has access to local memory. It can shard the model for multiple inferentia instances. And the chips have a special communication model allowing each model to process its part of the work and send it back. And this all means that there's no waste of time. And from Andy Jess's keynote that we will cover next episode, um, it's what we use to train Alexa today, in fact. Yeah, so look, we then had a refresher on regions during the show. All right, so let's park ML here for a bit, Pete. We'll get to that as we mentioned mm -hmm. tomorrow. So we then had a refresher on regions and AZs, and we're not going to dive into detail here as we've covered this numerous times before. So we then skipped over and we looked at our network and on the region front. So we talked about CloudFront. So CloudFront is now up to 210 pops, you know, another 10 since the last episode. And diving into detail, that extra 10 are, you know, they're in Italy, um, three there. There's Kuala Lumpur, Mumbai, Singapore, Sydney, and the balance reside in the USA. And look, he also spoke about the actual network that we have built and operate on a worldwide scale, which actually spans the world, right? It can uh, it can survive a, you know, a, a fiber cut, um, you know, it'll auto reroute the traffic worldwide. Uh, one also really important aspect was that when we spoke about it um, is that the uh, traffic is automatically encrypted before leaving any of the AWS regions uh, or the facilities. So no other cloud provider actually does it. So as you, uh, as you saw this massive picture of the globe with lots of fiber links, yeah, all that data is actually encrypted. So uh, we take care of making sure that heavy lifting around making sure your, your bits are secure uh, we did it for you before they actually leave the facility and before they enter it. You know, that map that you just spoke about, Pete, and you can have a look at this also on the AWS infrastructure site. It's actually really impressive seeing all the links that we have, you know, into countries. So, you know, in Australia here, the links between Melbourne and Sydney, there's multiple paths there between, you know, all the way to our peering locations. Really cool to see the redundancy that we've built in. So. Correct. Pretty impressive. It is very impressive. And look, to close out the show, we spoke about what we as an organization are doing about sustainably. Look, I'm proud to work at Amazon, but this is one of those moments where actions speak louder than words. Indeed, and same for me. And look, you know, uh, we report and measure our carbon output on a regular basis, and we have a you know a, a strategy in place, and that Amazon will be uh, at eighty percent renewable energy by twenty twenty four. 
which is pretty impressive, and 100% renewable by 2030. Uh, and the idea that we also have is that uh, we want to be net zero carbon uh, free by 2040, which is actually ahead of the Paris um, um, Agreement. Uh, Agreement indeed, right? So the idea here is that our business uh, reduces carbon uh, and to remove that zero carbon, we are you know, innovating around transportation, uh, construction, our operations. Um, essentially, every part of the business uh, is working to actually do our bit for the environment. Yeah. And uh, I think it's a really important thing for, for organizations to take care of because we are quite a large, large business. We certainly are. It's that corporate social responsibility. Indeed. Speaking of corporate social responsibility... You may have seen press announcements about renewables in 2019. So in 2019, we launched some renewable energy projects. So we had 960 megawatts of capacity spread over four wind and six solar projects, all in the US. And why in the US? So whilst we operate in other countries, you know, it's challenging from a regulatory point of view, particularly in India, France, and Japan. And we understand if we're going to meet these goals, we need to move faster. But not all countries have frameworks. In addition to these projects, in 2019, we also announced that we're going to add another 562 megawatts with projects in Ireland, Scotland, and Sweden. So this is in Europe. Um, and uh, Pete also mentioned that there's an opportunity to introduce another six renewable energy projects, now five solar farms and one wind farm. And what I was really excited about was that there's actually going to be one in Australia. Uh, it's, and it looks like it's going to be north of Sydney somewhere. I did see that and thought pretty cool as well. Love to know some more detail on what we're building. I'm sure it'll be released. Pete, yes. that was Monday Night Live done and dusted and the beginning of a crazy week of announcements that I know has left me a little bit lost for words at the moment. So a huge show ahead in episode 62. I need to figure out how we're going to tackle that. To close out the show, let's summarize. Monday Night Live, Peter DeSantis, all about infrastructure. We started talking about HPC, you know, the pain points and those pain points around running HPC workloads on AWS and the investments that we've made in our network with 100 gig networking, Nitro and EFA, you know, they've been a real game changer for this space. Indeed, and we also had the F1 uh, team drop by to give us a lesson on computational fluid dynamics and how AWS is helping fans to stand on the edge of the seats while, uh, you know, in 2021, uh, when you have a uh, wheel-to-wheel uh, racing action um, so you can follow your cars uh, as close as possible uh, before, um, you know, uh, they take each other over. Uh, and we also spoke about ML, uh, the P3DNs, the G4 instances, and snuck in a tidbit of Inferentia, uh, which was also uh, released today in a form of EC2 Inf1 family, Shane. To close out, we covered regions, introduced 10 new CloudFront pops before finishing on what we're doing around sustainability front, which is really huge. I think we're done here, Pete. Are you ready to do this in another 24 hours? <laughs> it depends if you're going to be ready on time. Uh, there's so much going on. My inbox is overfilling with announcements and things that we're saying and things that we're doing. Um, so yes, just remember, keynotes and sessions will be available shortly uh, on, you, on the YouTube channel. There we online. go. So listeners, you know what to do. Keep the feedback coming. Let us know at awstechchat at amazon.com as your messages do drive the direction of this show. But until next time, which should hopefully be 24 to 48 hours, a buy from Las Vegas at reInvent 2019. And stand by. We've got a whole bunch more announcements coming your way. Bye. Talk to you guys soon. Thanks, Peter. And that wraps everything up for this evening. We hope you had fun. And don't forget, tomorrow morning, you're going to get to hear from AWS CEO Andy Jassy. So enjoy Vegas, but don't party too hard. 
signing off. We really hope you enjoyed this episode. If you liked it, tell your friends, tell your colleagues, and tune in again to learn about AWS Cloud. Please subscribe to AWS Tech Chat by visiting www.awstechchat.com. <laughs>